world wants you to be one thing a lot of times. So I am Darrell, the social impact designer, but I'm also a lot of other things at the same time. And the ambitions to mix those things together, when you start mixing things together, sometimes that creates perceptions about the other things that you're doing, right? It may threaten the other that you're doing overall. So how do I project myself as the truest form of me, who is multifaceted, who wants everyone to get along and wants to focus on Black empowerment at the same time, who is both a professional and is an athlete at the same time, who doesn't want the image of him as an athlete to undercut in some way the image of him as a professional. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success, and my hope, as always, is that you leave the conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed part one of our interview series with Darrell Coleman. He is the founder of DC Design, a social impact design firm that uses the design thinking process to better define community needs, develop strategy, and design solutions to some of America's most pressing social challenges. So essentially, God's work. And in this episode, we learn more about the work Darrell is doing today with DC Design, how he manages the tension between work and life, his advice for social entrepreneurs entrepreneurs, and so much more. I know you'll love part two, so let's get to it. Yeah, so tell us about the work that DC Design is doing now. Can you just give us a paint the picture for us? DC Design is working to eliminate multi-generational poverty. And so the way that we do that work is by working with foundations, nonprofits, and governments to help them do the work that they do better. It's a whole bunch of organizations. They're incredible people who are striving to make our society a better place. And a number of them have new initiatives, goals, programs that they're either launching or trying to improve. And what we do as an organization is that we help them to design those initiatives in a way that is truly going to meet the needs of community. It is possible to work on behalf of community to build programs and services that provide some level of value without building programs and services that truly move the needle in a lasting way on people's lives. But there's a lot of organizations that want to do that. And so we use three primary methods to help them get there. First is that we do research in community. There's a lot of names for the type of research that we do. So one is you know, it's human-centered design research, it's empathy engagement, it's participatory action research. It's got a lot of names, but essentially for us, it is you cannot design for people you don't talk to. You need to go in and you need to speak directly with community members. You need to bring them into process so that they are able to shape the city that they live in. They're able to shape the space that they live in. Right? They have a say in um, the solutions that are going to impact their lives and not a transient say, but a lasting say. So the first is this research piece where we go and have those conversations. The second is strategy work. So we work with organizations to say, okay, well, here's the information that we've learned from the community. Based on that information, here is a strategy that would help you to truly meet their most underlying needs. When a mother tells me the real issue that I have is the lack of stability in my housing right now, I am trying to get my kid to get a good education. 
to do that, I have to take him to school across town. I don't have a car though. So I have to go on two different buses to get there. And the fact that I don't have a car, that I'm having to spend my time getting my kid to school on top of the fact that I'm trying to find a job that can pay me well is making the fact that my housing right now, which is temporary, very stressful. If, mm. if I could have a longer period of time to stay in a given location and I could find work, then I could actually create stability for my life. I've had people tell me we want to be fully self-sufficient. We want to know how to move out of the challenges we're facing right now. But the programs as they're designed, they don't link together in a way that's truly helpful. And so we work with organizations to say, here's what people said right, about your organization, your program, the challenge you're trying to solve. Here's a strategy that you could put in place to really begin to address that. It might be lengthening those program lengths, for example. It might be implementing a type of planning or training into those programs. It might be providing transportation for kids to be able to get to school. It might be providing childcare so that parents can get the education or work the job that they need to move out of the challenging situation that they're in right now. But we make that very clear for our clients what it is that they need to do. So that's the first two parts of what we do, right? The research piece and the strategy piece. And the last piece is we actually work with organizations to design the new initiative. So for example, there is a group of credit unions or CFIs in Milwaukee. They came together because they wanted to create more flows of funding to black and brown entrepreneurs. They wanted to be able to fund these individuals better. We talked with them. We learned more about what they wanted, what they needed, what their vision was, what their aspiration was, some of the challenges they have referring clients to one another when they're not the right fit. That's great. But when we went and talked with entrepreneurs, black and brown entrepreneurs, they told us, quote, I don't want more debt bondage. I have so much debt right now. I still have debt from college, for example, right? And um, what I really need is someone to help me figure out how to get into a brick and mortar building with my business. What I really need is someone to help me write a business plan. What I really need is someone who can help me transition from this business I've run out of my car for the last several years to something that I can run somewhere else. And so we ended up building, you know, we did the research piece, we did the strategy piece, understanding what they need. And then we did the design piece, which was let's design a platform, a website that allows entrepreneurs to put in exactly who they are and what they need right now. And it allows all the service providers in Milwaukee to come together to list out what their services are so that we match them one-to-one -one directly to each other. No middleman, no extra steps for you to go through, no big databases for you to file through. It simply says, here's what you said. You said you need business planning. You said your parameters and the type of business that you're running is this. Here is a great match for you who can help. And they have a class that starts next week. That's the type of thing that we help organizations build as well. Uh, yeah, I love that as well. And I just think this is such important work. And I one thing that I just love that you said earlier was how you really have to talk to people. When you're building out systems to try to affect change in these areas, in this area, you have to talk to people. Is there a person or a story that sticks out in your journey that you could share that's really perhaps changed your perspective or really put things into perspective when it comes to this work? There was a man that I spoke to in Santa Clara County. We were doing work on criminal justice reform, specifically work on jail reentry. So how do we reduce the rate of people coming back to jail, reductions in recidivism? And he was incarcerated at the time. We were asking him, what's the biggest challenge that you faced when it comes to reentry, right? And really establishing a life that you really want to live. And he said, you know, 
if you can't pay for housing, you go to jail. That was mm. the quote. That's the quote that stuck with me forever. Mm. You can't pay for housing, you go to jail. What he meant was in the color of the entire experience he's having. I am currently in jail. When I get out of jail, I'm going to be on parole. I have a criminal record now. So when I go apply for a job, I often have to check a box letting someone know that I have a criminal record. I can't leave where I'm at right now because of the parole. So I have to stay here. But I can't afford housing because there's no job. And if you can't pay for housing, you go to jail. Meaning if I have to sleep on the street for too long, at some point, I'm going to get picked up for something. At some point, it's going to be loitering. It's going to be sleeping on the street. It's going to be a misdemeanor. It's going to be something that violates my parole. And I'm going to end up right back where I'm at. And that to me was just so cyclical. It was so clear that that is a broken design. It's a broken system. And that we really need to design ways out of that. But we can't design for those specific challenges unless we hear those stories from real people. Yeah. Oh, that is such a powerful story. And as soon as, yeah, you said that quote, I understood what he meant. And it's such an unfortunate reality that so many people face. And so I think it's wonderful that you're doing this work. It's very challenging work. I'm curious about the most challenging parts of doing this work. There's a number of challenges in doing this. And I think one of the biggest ones is related to building a business that can carry out this work. The reason to build a business is that in the world we live in and the economy we live in, things that generate financial value of some sort, they are able to be supported. They're able to be sustained in some way. I look at the nonprofit model and I love nonprofits. I work with a whole lot of them as well. I look at the challenges that a lot of nonprofits face, the challenges of getting funding, of convincing someone to fund them in the first place, of the fact that it's the moment when the financial crisis hits, which is the moment when communities in need money the most, that their budgets often become constrained. For me, to run a business doing this work is to build a model that's more sustainable. It's to say we charge for our services and we, we find clients who can um, pay for those services. And we also seek to work as much as possible, as close as possible to the root of the challenge. I think that balancing act is a challenge because on one side, we love the work that we do and we want to spend all of our time there. And on the other side, for me personally, as the CEO of the company whose job it is to make sure that all of my incredible team members are paid and have benefits and also live fulfilling, uplifting lives, especially many of my team members are people of color themselves. I have to always make sure that we are finding clients and building the business in a way that will allow it to exist more. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. At first, when I just heard of the concept of social enterprise, I questioned it. I thought it was incredible, <laughs> but I still questioned it because I was trying to understand how do you do work at the intersection of purpose and profit? Like you've got to still sustain the business and do this great work. And so it seems like probably one of the most challenging things to do, but it's a worthy cause. I'm glad that you're figuring it out and that you've been doing it for quite some time. How long has the company been around? We have been doing social change work for seven years. I love that. And for funding, do you get any type of outside funding outside of the services that you provide? No, we're 100% funded by, by the work we do. That's lovely. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a beautiful place to be where. You know, and it's been a journey to get there, but it's a beautiful place to be where we can, can fund all the work that we do through the work that we love the most. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy that you're continuing to do this work and you are balancing this with also being a husband, being a father. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and how you balance it all? I'll say this. I have an incredible family and I love my wife and my son so much. And one of the biggest challenges I found that changed whenever we had our son as an entrepreneur itself was just the way that I was able to use time in order to accomplish the goals that I had. So my wife and I, we've been together since college. Yes, Carla. Hi, Carla. (laughs) And she is amazing. My wife, she's a doctor. She's ambitious and driven, beautiful, and wants to create change in people's lives as well. She's caring and loving and just just a rock steady person. Same time. We came together in many ways under this realization that we both had big dreams in life. The question was, how can we be together and work together without hindering each other's dreams, without one of us having to sacrifice our future, the goals that we have, the aspirations we have in order for the other to get ahead? And I think so far we've managed to do that. So I built a company that could be anywhere, could work from anywhere, could work everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, we're a remote team, we're a remote company, and we have been since the start. She became a doctor and that meant going to medical school in California and then going to Yale for her residency. And so we moved across the country during that period of time. And then in the midst of all that, we had a child. I have a a son named Cairo and he is just a ball of of joy. He is pure goodness, all wrapped (laughs) up into one person. But one of the biggest things that I noticed for me as an entrepreneur was the need to be really intentional about how I use my time once I had a child. He doesn't just require attention. He calls for me to give him attention. I want to give him attention. I want to be present with him. Mm-hmm. And that means setting limitations on when I'm working and when I'm not working in ways that I never had to before. Before, I could work from sun up to sundown and beyond, right? If I needed to to get something done. Before, I could always put any extra hours at the last minute to make things happen. Now, I am a lot more conscious of how I've time blocked my days, how I schedule out what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it, how much time I'm giving to certain tasks, which meetings I'm in and which meetings I don't really need to be in so that I can make sure that I get done the things that are most important to get done. And in many ways, I think that's been a maturing process for me as an entrepreneur. It is it's one thing to always have infinite time that you can pour into something. Uh, it's another thing to have to look ahead and say, here's how much I have. Here's how I can still get everything done. So that's been one of the things that I know I've done personally on my side. I think the other is that I do have a really supportive wife and family, and we try to balance our roles as much as possible to make sure that our son is taken care of. But it's really been a partnership. That's been really, really powerful. Thank you. That sounds incredible. Thank you for really sharing that just because one guest pointed out that only women get asked the work-life balance question. I was like, listen, I need to ask Darrell, (laughs) how does he balance this? And I think it's also great that you shared that you both had these huge dreams and how are we going to make it work and be a happy, productive couple and not set limitations on what we want to achieve in this world. And there's a lot of research that shows, especially when you have children, that that's very challenging, that there's actually this ambition. I can't remember the name, but that couples can only have a certain amount of ambition until things fall through the cracks, until 
the children fall through the cracks or the marriage or, and so it's being intentional. It's, it's having those conversations and it's tough and it's hard, but it's possible. Yeah. And I would say that it's kind of the responsibility of the partner. If each partner is pushing for the other person to not give up on their dreams, to make space for them to be able to accomplish their next goal, their next dream, to compensate where they can make that happen. If I'm doing that for my wife and she's doing that for me, that's what we found to be a really successful formula for neither of us having to give up the fullness of our God-given dreams. I love that. I love that. Just to get a little bit more of the human side or to get more introspective, what is something that you struggle with as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as a leader? Is there something that you've been working on and can you share your insights to help other leaders and professionals? One of the biggest challenges for me is really around how much I value at times the opinions of other people. So, you know, I run a business and to get business means to build relationships with people. To have employees who stay with you as a small business means to build relationship with people. To affect change in the world the way that we do it means to build relationship with lots of people simultaneously. You know, we work with everyone in a given ecosystem who touches a challenge. So the sheriff and the DA and the public defender, people who are incarcerated, family members, victims of crime, everyone is involved. There's so much relationship building quickly. And that can at times, as you take in all that information, it can be challenging to move as confidently as you can in your own direction. Listen to your own heart on what makes the most sense for you or for your organization or for your next steps. I think that that's a macro level version of it the micro level even, right? When it comes to friends and family, part of it comes from the empathy that my mother and sister sort of imparted, which is that you just notice people, you notice their reactions, you notice what they say, you notice what they think. And I can overanalyze what that means in a given interaction that I just had with a new neighbor, for example. What does that mean? What are they thinking? Right? And, and use that to either adjust or to process, but that can be a hindrance. That same power that's useful for building business and relationship and organizations can be a hindrance when it comes to like living your life as authentically and truly as you really want to. And that's something that I'm always sort of wrestling with. I think a separate challenge just comes down to something similar, which is moving through the world as more than one thing. The world wants you to be one thing a lot of mm-hmm. times. So I am Darrell, the social impact designer, but I'm also a lot of other things at the same time. and ambitions to mix those things together. When you start mixing things together, sometimes that creates perceptions about the other things that you're doing, right? It may threaten the other that you're doing overall. So how do I project myself as the truest form of me, who is multifaceted, who wants everyone to get along and wants to focus on Black empowerment at the same time, who is both a professional and is an athlete at the same time, who doesn't want the image of him as an athlete to undercut in some way the image of him as a professional, right? I think about those things. And and in some ways, it goes back to the same point of the perspectives of other people. But having those conversations bounce around in your head can take up space that would be better used for something else. So I actually really love that insight. And I can relate to it in so many ways. And it actually is tied to the inspiration for the podcast. I think that as a Black woman who has achieved XYZ and has gone to certain schools and institutions, I felt like we were 
in a box, a lot of my friends, and we couldn't be dynamic and we couldn't fail and we couldn't have setbacks and we couldn't be confident or, you know, even talk about how incredible we are and how we've overcome certain things. Like we had to be, have a certain level of humility, have a certain level of perfectionism, speak a certain way, wear certain things. You know, recently I had blonde braids. I wouldn't have done that five years ago. Thank you, Crowned Act. And so what I wanted to do was talk to different people who had achieved success, you know, based on society standards. And we talk about how we define success. There's certainly different ways to achieve it, but that's kind of the marker. They've done something interesting to make a positive impact on the world. And I felt like so many private conversations were about how do we live our authentic lives. I wanted to have those conversations so that people can feel free. You know, I just hadn't seen platforms where people of color were talking about the humanity behind the success. I felt like so much, right. so many of us are these exceptions, you know, and that's what we're trying to change with all these systemic issues. You're trying to change that because we're the exceptions that get to go to certain colleges right. and, and things of that nature. But then there's this pressure and it has a negative effect on our mental health. And so I appreciate you sharing that just because when people look at you, Darrell, and I am one of them, you really see perfection, right? You really, and I know you just outside looking in, it's just like, oh, look at him and his wife. She's a doctor. He has this amazing social enterprise. They have this cute child. They're so beautiful together. Like they're doing incredible work to save the world. They are perfect. But, you know, we all have these different insecurities and things that we deal with. And so, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm saying a lot, but. <laughs> I love it. Love it. And I love everything you just said about, I think the challenge of being the exception and, the, you know, some of the responsibility that comes with being the, the exception, or maybe even the opportunity that comes to like break Privilege. some of that mold. Yeah, exactly. Break that mold and say, no, we are multifaceted people and we do this and we do that. We like this and we like that. We didn't have to kill off parts of ourselves in order to maintain the image of perfection, which is not the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious about the other sides of you. So what are some of the things that you do in your free time that, you know, cause you are coming, which is definitely certainly a side of you a little bit more serious. And the Darrell that I know is actually silly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh, Darrell has just grown up. He's just incredible. He's like, <laughs> but the Darrell I know is just a silly man that I love. But yeah, some other things that you could share with us about your hobbies or things that you do outside of your mission and your work. Yeah. So I recently set up a drum set back in my house. I used to play the drums and that was a lot of fun for me. And I am very rusty. It's been a long time, but that's something that I've been doing more in my free time. I watch a lot of anime, a lot of Japanese anime. <laughs> you name the show from Naruto to Bleach to Jujutsu Kaisen to trying to name some esoteric ones as well, some, some Blue Exorcist. So anyone who's watching who's like deep into it, I watch a lot of anime. Recently started getting my son interested in anime. He didn't want to watch. And then he was like, oh, what's this? Oh, what's this? Oh, what's this? <laughs> and so he's pretty young. He's three still. But that's been a lot of fun. I play video games. There's a video game in particular that I play called Overwatch. It's a first-person shooter game, animated game. I play that a lot. It's one of my de-stressing methods. So... I don't have to think very much. In many ways, I just get to so used to it that I can become the character that I'm playing as and I don't have to think about the buttons I'm pushing or how I'm pushing them or, or anything like that during that time. I just get to a fun game 
meet people online. They're completely different people. They don't know who I am. I don't know who they are. We talk and we play and it's all good. It's a lot of fun. So, I mean, those are some of the biggest things. Try to stay active in some way or another. We talked about this a little bit. So every now and then I get back into a streak of going for runs and things like that. But I keep my workouts pretty varied. So I just try to keep bringing light into life. I like to travel when I can. I like to meet new people and make friends. I like to play Magic the Gathering when I get the chance. Go back to Nerdy Durrell. Okay, like, like, what is that? I do not know. Not familiar. It's a tabletop <laughs> card game where you're both wizards <laughs> and you summon creatures to defeat the other player by taking down their life points. You hit them with creatures, basically. So very nerdy. Go look it up. Magic okay. Gathering, a lot of fun, old school <laughs> game. But those are some of the things that are my hobby. See, look at you. Very well-rounded, we <laughs> very dynamic. So many different things, multifaceted. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm just curious about advice. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs, people in the social impact space, people who are doing purpose-driven work, what advice do you have for those people? One of the quotes that my dad shared with me when I was a kid, it's very simple. I think a lot of parents tell their, their kids, but it was that you can be anything you want to be in this world. And I remember asking him, can I be a dragon then? And he was like, yes, <laughs> then you can be a dragon. And I was like, yes. But I really took it to heart. Like He didn't squash my dream you know, of, of becoming whatever it was. And at the age of six, being a dragon was the highest aspiration that I had. I think that would be my advice, though, for anyone who's starting a business or who's who's thinking of starting a business. Like, you have one life, and you can live it as fully as you can dream of living it. Right? You don't have to limit yourself. Whether you have kids now or you don't have kids now, whether you've started a business before or you never have, find a way to decide or identify what is it that you care about most in this world. One of the frameworks I use is sort of what brings me joy about life and what is it that makes me angry, that upsets me, that frequently just gets me a little bit triggered about what's going on. I want to live a life that amplifies joy while reducing some of those things that sadden me. Right? And so the work that I do is to be able to see people accomplish their goals and their dreams in life by overcoming challenges that they face while reducing a little bit of the dysfunction that our systems produce. That just brings me more and more joy. So ask yourself that question and figure out, you know, where is it that you might want to go here? Because you can. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your No Straight Path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show, and I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.